0: This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Feel like you're stuck in a dinner rut? HelloFresh gets you fresh, pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes, and they show up at your door. You can skip all the grocery store shopping. I mean, this week, already putting off grocery store shopping to, to my own detriment, right? Nothing in the fridge. And it's because I don't want the hassle. And this helps you skip it, right? All those trips to the grocery store. Get them out of here. Count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And you can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in like 30 minutes. 30 minutes or less, right? It's like the new Domino's. Domino's did not pay for this. I should not say their name. Uh, With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there is something for everybody. Like, how about firecracker meatballs? My two favorite words put together in one recipe. Uh, And all the recipes are designed, tested by professional chefs, nutritional experts. Like, everybody gets together in a room. They're like, yes, this one, not that one. Uh, Go to the link in our show notes. Get 80 bucks off, including free shipping on HelloFresh. It's the number one meal kit. HelloFresh. Now, rock and roll bedtime stories commence don't go to sleep mom don't go to sleep do me a favor don't disturb my friend he's dead tired well what the hell are you saying boss you bruised half your body sleeping i i sleep pretty hard welcome to rock and roll bedtime stories rock and roll bedtime stories i'm brian hey it's murdoch hey guys we do the rumor the innuendo the things about your favorite bands and songs you're not sure if they're true or not we do the investigation oh man are you ready are you ready for one
1: yeah, I love it. I've okay. no idea what the heck's about to happen. So well, I'm
0: super stoked. I should note that this whole story really serves as a prequel for what we could be, like this could be a whole slew of future episodes of this show. This is really an origin story, is what we're talking about. So like imagine if we're watching Disney Plus with your daughter or my kids. Right? We're about to embark on the Maleficent film to our Cinderella franchise. Or or the Cruella to our 101 Dalmatians, if you will. Ugh. Cruella was really good. I don't care what anybody <laughs> said. <laughs> no, Stooges, why did everybody hate Cruella? I, I enjoyed I was, the, uh, the Iggy Pop covers in the middle. Like, the, 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 the song licensing alone on that movie had to be insane. Yeah, the Stooges thing was, was really nice. I do want to go back to what
1: you started to sell this about how cool this is going to be, this story. Uh, I mean, are we talking spinoff? Are we talking spin off? Are we talking about a spinoff where we're gonna try to get like a Peabody or something? Is this is this like a an award-winning possibility—possibility possibility <laughs> no. of something that's going to take a right turn. No, we're going to start talking about
0: people getting murdered. No, this is just more episodes of our own show. I, I don't—I don't think this is going to spit it. off into a, into another series where suddenly we're like doing investigative reporting about the drinks that get roofied in the Mercury Ballroom. Like, I, I don't think that's what we're doing here. I wasn't prepared for anything that you just said, <laughs> but please go, keep going. <laughs> we are going to—we are going to talk about. A bit of a villain, though, right? We're, we're, this is an origin story of a villain in popular music. And, and we're not going to start with him, though. I want to start first with our protagonist of sorts. Though, I don't know. I mean, in this story, I'm not really sure we... I, I guess by strict English teacher definitions, he would be the protagonist. But I'm not sure he's necessarily the guy you always are rooting for. Um, we start with a name. Robert Matthew Van Winkle. Do you know that name at all? Ring any bells? Yeah, I sh- yeah I do. I yeah I oh absolutely you do. Know you who you know who Bob Van Winkle is? Okay, we'll just hold it, hold it for the audience. He was born in Dallas <laughs> on Halloween in 1967. He sure was. And Van Winkle was not his father's name. I don't know if you knew this. It was the name of the man his mother was married to at the time.
1: So Ooh, he, he no, got I didn't that. Know
0: this didn't know that guy for very long because he was not in the picture. It uh, by the time uh, this guy was four. Um. Then the the couple gets divorced, and the mom and the kid move back and forth between Dallas and Miami, and he starts to grow up, right? So Bob Van Winkle gets into middle school, tail end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s, and he starts getting obsessed with breakdancing, which is not weird, because I had a kid who went through a phase loving his breakdancing. He's this goofy white kid from Texas, but all his friends he makes learning to dance are black, so they come up yeah. with a nickname to, to point out the distinction, the thing that makes this kid oh, different than them. And they start. This is where. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. What do they start calling him? They called him Vanilla Ice. Uh, really? They, they called him Vanilla. They called him Vanilla. The ice comes I, later and we're going to get there. I can't believe that's where the name came. The origin of the name came from him hanging out. He'd be the only white guy. He was the only white kid. And this is, he's young, right? And so shortly afterward, he's, he, he takes a step that I don't really think feels like a stretch given the culture he's becoming immersed in. He starts battle rapping at parties. And now, his friends make a little addition to his nickname, but it's still not what you think. They start calling him MC Vanilla. So, yeah, you can obviously tell where this is headed. He, Rolling with my 5.0. He joins his breakdance troupe. And, <laughs> and when they perform, he has this one particular move where he gets to show off. And that move is called... Go ahead. Aroni? Is it Aroni? No, it's called the Ice. Oh, the Ice. Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, the stage name is Born. Uh, Bob Van Winkle becomes Vanilla Ice. And he eventually forms his own dance group, the Vanilla Ice Posse.
1: This makes me feel like the character in The Good Place that... (laughs)
0: The, the best character on that show. Sorry, I'm good. <laughs> it, it's actually at this time he's 16. The story goes, and he he's star- he's writing oh. a song. Yeah, yeah, he's still very young. He writes a song about a weekend he spends in South Florida with his disc jockey pal D. Shay D. shay and Be the shame. story goes that that D. Shay and Vanilla Ice go to buy some drugs, and they end up in the middle of a drive-by shooting, and. This song that he writes when he's 16 eventually becomes this song. He's
1: right. Let's kick it.
0: Now, of course, we're going to get there. The Ice Ice Baby is unavoidable when you're talking about Vanilla Ice. But And,
1: And he was telling the truth, right? You could hear it. He's totally right.
0: I have he wasn't that, lying. I have that clip queued up. Okay. We're going to get there too. Uh, so... Now, one thing I love about Vanilla Ice is this guy is the original multi interest artist. You, you know how, like, now we see guys and girls who are hyphenated, right? Like, they're actor, rapper, visual artist, songwriter, balloon animal maker, like, whatever. But, <laughs> balloon animal maker. Come right. on. You got to put everything in your resume, right? It's like when you get an email from someone and at the bottom it says they're like MS Word certified. And you're like, really? Did you need to put that in your signature? Uh, but Ice was doing this from the very beginning, man. He was a dancer, he was a rapper. And he was obsessed with motocross. <laughs> so in his that's late... That's right. Yeah. He's, he so was into motocross. Forgot all about that from, from early 90s. So Crap. in his, his late teens and early 20s, that's actually what he's focused on. In, in 85, he actually wins three championships. But we all know that extreme sports are a young man's game. And your fortune can turn very quickly. So... Suddenly, ice has an accident, and he breaks his ankle, and while he's recovering and unable to race, he returns to this obsession with dancing. And he starts going to malls, because it's the late '80s, <laughs> because where
1: else are you going to go? So I was like I was like, "Is he going?" Is he going to merry-go-round or
0: Spencer's? <laughs> yes, he, pro- he, he was probably was going to those places, but but yeah. he's hanging out in the court too, right? And he starts doing his sort of like street performance, some breakdancing, some rapping, some beatboxing. And one night, he's out with this buddy, who legit goes by the name Squirrel, and they just de- <laughs> they decide to go to City Lights. Now. City Lights is important in the story. City Lights is a club in South Dallas, and I, I looked up because I, as I have become accustomed to, when we start talking about locations, I start to see if they're still, a, uh, if they still exist. I do not think City Lights still exists in South Dallas, but if I'm wrong, email the show wearethestoryguys@gmail.com. Tell me about your wild nights in City Lights. Uh, so there's two versions of what happens this night, right? So I'm going to tell you both of them. This is great rock and roll bedtime story stuff. So okay, okay, one version of this night. Is that there is an open mic, t- open mic contest going on. And Squirrel dares Ice to go on stage. And like something right. out of a movie, this white kid gets up and he wins over the crowd. And then John Bush, the guy who's running the club at the time, asks Ice if he wants to start regularly performing J- there. John Bush from Armored Saint and Anthrax? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> let's let's imagine that. Yes, it's the one of the All same. guy. <laughs> Uh, The other version of this story is that Ice shows up to the club with like weird vibrato and parks his car under the marquee (laughs) and Tommy Kwan who owns the club comes out to tell him to move it and ice uses his charisma to keep his parking space and then goes in and wins a talent show. Have you ever used your charisma to keep a parking space? <laughs> yes, yes, I totally have. I totally have. Uh, regardless of how it actually went down, though, Ice did indeed parlay this into an ongoing gig at City Lights. That's the takeaway. He 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 more or less wins some sort of contest at City Lights, regardless of whatever dramatics happen with his car. And he he starts getting to perform. At City Lights. And he brings, remember his buddy D. Shay, who was in the weird, maybe there was a drive-by shooting song lyric stuff that happened. He he gets a DJ for him. And then Vanilla Ice, remember, we were talking about his dance group. He brings VIP, which stands for not very important person. It stands for Vanilla Ice Posse. Vanilla Ice Posse
1: when he goes yo V I P. Oh my God, that's, I never knew that. Yeah, that's what that he's was. yelling.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. He's not saying yo, you very important person. He's talking about his posse. Now, they would get to perform some nights too. And because he basically has this residency, he gets to open for the headliners. And at the time, if you were going to South Dallas and you were on your way up, late 80s, in hip hop and R and B, you were playing at City Lights. So, in short, Vanilla is opening for the DOC, Tone Loke, Two Live Crew, Paula Abdul, NWA, and Public Enemy. Wow. Also on this list, Sinbad and MC Hammer, but (laughs) I I had to figure out where to put them to not ruin the list.
1: By the way, the DOC, the... Uh, it's funky enough by the DOC. When I was in high school, was the vamp music for my the the men's basketball
0: team. <laughs> I was really hoping you were going to say that was the song we danced to at my wedding reception. <laughs> no, it's like, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, you're the Lewisburg Tigers. It's <laughs> good for guys. It's good for guys. Wait, wait, wait. See. You you guys were the Lewisburg Tigers. You weren't the goats. I feel, no, I feel like you really missed
1: an opportunity there. But you know, back in the '80s and '90s, like they had not figured out how to capitalize on this freak show animal <laughs> thing that lived in the backyard. Have we, <laughs> wait, have we talked about on this podcast? Have we talked about the Fading Go Festival? I feel like we have to do that for just a second, maybe just for a minute. And first, I, I gotta, I gotta set this up and I'll make it fast. There was an air conditioner factory, <laughs> where I grew up, and that's where everybody worked. Air conditioner factory. Tell me more. Down. Tell me more. It shuts down, and then Saturn builds a plant in Spring Hill, which is about 30 or 40 minutes north of where I grew up. And so everyone went to work there. They even put a Saturn Parkway on I-65. Saturn shuts down. So all these people in my hometown, I mean, there's still factories and there's places like, but there's a large amount of people that were employed at places. And some damn genius said, why don't we use those fainting goats we got out there in spring place and let's have a, let's have a fainting goat festival. So my hometown has a, a fainting goat festival and they could, and listen, I'm going to, I'm going to take shade with the name of it because it's called goats, music, and more. That's really the name of it. They could call it like the international fainting goat festival. Goats, or some,
0: music, and more. And more. <laughs> well, but, hey, what are we going to have in this festival? Well, man, I yeah. think we're going to have goats. What else? Maybe music? Uh, what else? I don't know. Lots more. Well, I think we got the name. And I, I went once, and it was, it
1: was a very awkward situation with some uh, uh, things. And then I ran right to my buddy Rick Howes, who's my clo- close pal from being a kid. And I said, uh, Rick, where's the, where's the beer tenant? He goes, Oh, man, you know, you got to still go to Pizza Hut to get a <laughs> beer around here. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> These these guys aren't selling. Like, who hates to make money? I can't understand. Is it like people are gonna get drunk and like molest the goats? Like, I don't understand what's the what's the problem? Oh wow! But uh, they did they did it one one year. They had the Charlie Daniels Band, which is a significant meet, buy to to get him. He's kind of expensive. The Bellamy Brothers. If you're not familiar with, if you if I told you, you had a beautiful body, would you hold it against me and mm-hmm. let your love flow? Who doesn't Began's, know the Bellamy Brothers? Come on, man, Be- turn it up big in sweden apparently diamond rio uh john freaking anderson played wow um yeah um uh, but now it's kind of like i don't i think that talent's not really that good so yeah so if anyone <laughs> is interested about attending uh <laughs> and supporting my hometown's uh music festival when we're out of this global pandemic please email us at we at gmail.com and we'll tell you all
0: about how you can attend someday and uh I'd I'd really like to apologize to the the guys that get annoyed about us getting off the topic in the middle of the Vanilla Ice podcast. We're talking about the Bellamy brothers, but actually, I'm not going to apologize because this is us, man. This is us. There's a lot of podcasts out there. This was
1: what we decided to do. And this was what this is really how this
0: was kind of (laughs) But yo, VIP. (laughs) Let's kick it. So not everything's all roses and city lights, right? It's a, like any interesting club. Sometimes people get rowdy and things get out of hand. And so one night in early 87, Vanilla Ice gets into a scuffle outside the club and he gets stabbed five times. I didn't know he got stabbed. Well, yeah. So, so there's a lot of stuff later that we're not really going to get into in this episode. about his cred right people really question his cred after he gets huge like anybody anybody that gets kind of almost this like feeling of overnight success people start to be like well you're a plant or you're not real or you don't have you know so there's this lots of questions and he he does make references all the time to how he got stabbed that actually is true that did happen so it's january 87 when that happens and after he spends 10 days at the hospital he ends up signing a contract with the owner of city lights, that Tommy Kwan guy who told him yeah. to move his car. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he has a management company called all And so Quan sees dollar signs, man. I got to say this guy, this guy doesn't get a lot of love in the world or in these stories, but he gets a little bit of credit here because there's clearly like a moment to be had with ice as a singer dancer combo that I think a lot of people would have missed. And this guy gets it. And, I, I like, forget about how much dancing was a part of the early Vanilla Ice thing. Like, do you remember those early videos?
1: Yes, sure. And and I do remember when I was in high school, he played the friggin' either – I think he played the Ryman Auditorium. Wow. But he, he might he might have played uh, the Tennessee Performing
0: Arts Center instead. But I, I but I do know either Virgil's, way pretty elaborate venues for Vanilla Ice. That really says a lot about where he was at that point.
1: Yeah, like T-Pac, like I saw Indigo Girls and Matthew Sweet right, right. And, and things like stuff like that there. Um, B52s. But um, apparently like I remember I remember Girls went and they, they lost their voice. They're screaming at him so much. Oh, of course. So, so clearly, he's just not up there uh, having a roni like that. I mean, my Vanilla Eyes <laughs> reference to the song, last song, in his first LP. Um, like, he, he dances. I mean, the guy has
0: moves. So let me just let me stop down for a moment to just honor <laughs> the legend that is Murdoch, who just like I throw this at you with no warning and you're just dropping song titles throughout the re- without looking at anything, you're not pulling any notes up, you're just free balling. I love Dude, it. If you if you never listen to having a
1: Rony, um, <laughs> I don't really have any other recommendation to you to tell you anything else about it.
0: So so this guy Tommy Kwan, he's he's pretty smart. And what he decides to do is he's making money at the club, right? City Lights is bringing in NWA and Public Enemy, so he's good. So he takes some of the money that he's making at City Lights, and he decides to take some of these songs that Ice has been doing, opening for bands at his club, and he's like, we're going to get some real producers, and we're going to try to capture this in the studio. So they, wow. they make a record, and they clamor for distribution, and they find this little independent label called Ichiban Records, just so funny to me that Itchy Bond Records put out Vanilla Ice. And they, yeah, did, they do, did they do anything else? I, 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 I don't so know. It's so familiar sounding. So right. they release a single. And it's this song, I guess Tommy liked it. And it was called Play That Funky Music. And it was it was him. I mean, it, and this exists. This ends up on the Vanilla Ice album that you owned at some point. And it, uh, it, it is a sample of Wild Cherry. Play That Funky Music, White Boy. And Tommy Kwan is hustling this, man. This is his shot. So he starts personally sending the single to radio stations around the U.S. But nobody wants to play it because it's a weird rehash of a 70s funk song. And there's, like, not really much of a reaction. So this – now i got to tell you about my guy, Daryl. Daryl J. There's almost no information about Daryl J. I looked because I wanted to be able to tell you all about – like, I want to tell you how many kids Daryl J has and what radio stations he worked at. All I know about Daryl J is this – Daryl J. at one point worked at a radio station in Georgia. And this was back at the, in the 80s, and they were still, they were literally spinning records. And so he got the single, play that funky music. And, he, and he's like, ah, I guess I'll play that. And he put it on upside down. And he plays the wrong song. Oh, really? He, so Vanilla Ice got the wrong song? The Treatment. whole reason... The vanilla ice breaks is because Daryl J turns the record upside down in Georgia. That's literally it. And, the, and they never cleared the sample to begin with. The magic happens. The song starts to rocket. And this album that Tommy Quan had basically been hustling solo, it gets remixed, it gets reissued, and it gets put out by SBK Records in October of 1990 under a new title. And its new title, of course, is To the Extreme.
1: Yep. It's now, I it's really surprising that um, I, it did strike. I had to look, Brian, that he was on Itchy Records, which means that for a while he was label mates with Cool Moe D, Sir Mix-a-Lot, Willie D from the Ghetto Boys, Clarence Carter. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, at some point, um, where was the other one? Oh, Little John. And not the this little John, the Flesh Tones, Deadeye Dick, Dash Rip Rock. Um,
0: Dead Eye Dick, I haven't, we haven't got yeah, to talk yeah. about Dead Eye Dick on this
1: show before. That's exciting. Yes, yeah, so Itchy Records had an interesting roster of people, but I wow. remember see, like the artwork on To the Extreme, like the SBK. I remember like having the cassette because I had it, and uh, it looked really. Uh, like cheap or something, you know. It's like it, yeah. Yeah. there's something that looks, there's a look that like Warner Brothers or RCA or something had, and like SBK looked like something that was like from Kmart. So like it just
0: hey, listen. Low rent. Listen, they they didn't spend a lot on their logo. They spent all their money on hiring the smartest people they could because the SBK guys make one of the best decisions in in recording history around this song. And this is record industry nerd stuff that you and I really like. So just hang on if this is not your bag. Okay. So Ice, Ice Baby, originally a B-side, as I just described, literally on the other side of the record. So when you, when you turn it around, when it becomes a hit, and you reissue it, and you get it as a record label, at the time, and this sort of is, gets lost in translation because this isn't really how things work now in the world of streaming. But at the time, you would then reissue that as an A-side, So there would be a new whole rollout where you would say, now we have the single Ice Ice Baby. And then kids would go and they would go to buy Ice Ice Baby and there'd be another song on the other side of it. But Ice Ice Baby would be what they were trying to buy. So they start to do this. They start to, to create it. And then the guys at SBK are in a room one day and they're like, wait a second. Forget all these remixes we're having done. And forget about this stupid single. This song is skyrocketing. It's pre internet, pre YouTube, pre streaming. They go, no, 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 no. Don't put out a single. Put it on the album, and that's it. And so, what happens is the only way a kid in 1990 who hears Ice Ice Baby can play Ice Ice Baby whenever that kid wants to is to buy to the extreme. That's wow. why you owned it. That's why you owned it. Everybody man, owned I, it.
1: I, did, I didn't know that it wasn't issued as a single. That's So get amazing.
0: this. So that's in the American market. You can get imports where it's got the remixes that they were originally going to put on it in the American market, but they didn't do it. So that's, that's the foreign import. So the strategy yeah. works. And to the extreme, this is true, was the first album to reach all five <laughs> sales certification levels in one month. Ice wow. was handed gold, platinum, double platinum, triple platinum awards on November 19th, 1990. And then the next day, he got a quadruple platinum award. Oh, my gosh. Do you know who his label mates were at SBK? Uh,
1: read, read me. Jesus, Jesus Jones. Oh, yeah. Wilson, Wilson Phillips.
0: Yes.
1: And then, and then a band that probably no one would care about uh, called Technotronic. But they had a song called Pump Up the Jam. Pump
0: right? Up the Wait Hey, listen. Let me tell you right now. If you've got a little money and a little sway, I just take the 1990 SVK roster, put that on a state fair bill. Oh, man. People will lose their minds. You can see Jesus Jones, Wilson Phillips, Vanilla Ice, and Technotronic in one night for $15 in parking. I'm in.
1: I want them all to come on stage at the end and do the someday somebody's going to say don't come around and say goodbye and do that. Yeah, 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 VIP.
0: Hold on, VIP. Uh, That's amazing. I'm oh my God. Gl- I'm glad we think that's hilarious. I'm glad you think it's as <laughs> hilarious as I do. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack about Ice Ice Baby, just as the song, right? We said we're going to talk about our favorite bands. We're going to talk about <laughs> our favorite <laughs> songs. So we're going to get to a little bit more into Ice Ice Baby. But let's press pause on Vanilla Ice for a moment and turn our attention to the person I've been referring to as our Cruella. All right? We're, we're getting closer to the main attraction. Let's look at a different birth certificate. We're going to leave Robert Van Winkle so we can talk about Marion Hugh Knight Jr. Oh, wow. We're doing this? Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, this episode is brought to you in part by HelloFresh. If you're stuck in a dinner rut, you can get out of it with a little help from HelloFresh. It shows up at your door. It's pre-measured. It's mouth-watering. It's seasonal. All those trips to the grocery store can be ixnade. And uh, now you can count on Hello Fresh to make home cooking easy and fun and fast. 30 minutes, and you can get uh, dinner on the table. And like I said, the professional chefs and the nutritional experts, like they don't agree on a lot, they agree on this. So you can go to the link at our show notes now and get 80 bucks off, including free shipping on Hello Fresh. Back to the show. Marion Hugh Knight Jr. Born two and a half years before Vanilla in April of 65 over on the West Coast. Marion Hunei Jr. often cuddled and snuggled, given a cute little nickname of his own as a small child. Sugar Bear. Sugar Sugar Bear. Now, while Ice was figuring out motocross in the early 80s, Marion was finishing high school as a football and a track star, and he was trying to parlay that into college. He plays a few different schools. He ends up in the NFL draft in 87, and he gets pulled into the L.A. Rams training program. Wow. Doesn't make the cut. But lucky for him... I don't know if you know this, about 87 football. 1987, there is a strike. There is a strike. Okay. So he gets to be a replacement ram for two games. Wow. I never knew this. This is amazing. Okay. Not enough to turn into a, a real pro career. So he uses his football player physique for the next best thing. And he becomes a bodyguard. To I think bu- you are going <laughs> to say
1: bodybuilder.
0: He becomes. imagine him
1: with a banana <laughs> hammock doing the flex. Um, but thanks. I'm glad we went. I'm glad you
0: went the place I didn't go. So, yeah, Bodyguard. Bodyguard to Bobby Brown. And he starts promoting concerts. And by 1989, he decides he's going to start a music publishing company. And he takes on a client named Mario Johnson. Or, as he started to be called, Mario Chocolate Johnson. Or later, just as Mr. Choc. And yes, Murdoch, I don't know if your brain has gotten here yet, but we are literally headed towards a point in this story where we're going to talk about a conflict between a guy named Vanilla and a guy named Chocolate. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. What did you did you plan on this? Or is this, just, <laughs> this, this is this just weird... this
0: just exists, man. This is just real. This is some
1: weird shit in the middle of the story. You didn't
0: really plan on doing Vanilla and Chocolate. <laughs> no, this is very important part of the story. This is a huge part of the story. Mario Johnson becomes, I mean, you can't take him out of this story. So now we could get into the nitty gritty of who this guy is. But Mario Johnson, basically what you need to know is this. He's like a bit player, a guy in the room over the next 10 years. And he's, he's just in the room with much more famous and infamous names like Dre and Snoop. He, he claims that the chocolate nickname came from Michelle. You know You know who Michelle is? Michelle with the apostrophe at the end. Late eighties, oh, nineties yeah. R and B. Yeah, she yeah. she had a child and took a lot of physical abuse from Dr. Dre. Uh, he does say he hated being called chocolate because he didn't want people to think it was because of the story I'm about to tell you, where he is associated with vanilla. He didn't. He didn't. He was like, "That's dumb. I don't want people to think that." So he didn't like it when they called him chocolate. That really wasn't the reason. Uh, but he was associated with Vanilla Ice, or so he would come to claim. So. It's here that we go back and we're gonna talk about the song, Ice Ice Baby. If we were gonna make a list of the most controversial songs from American pop culture ever, meaning songs that cause a whole lot of scuffle and conversation and criticism and angst, this one's like gotta be near the top of the list, right? Yeah, for popular music too, because considering how big of a,
1: a hit it was. Right. Like name another name another really, really big hit
0: that's in this arena where there's so much controversy about the song well and there's so many things about this song that make it an ignition point like there's a bunch of stuff to unpack here but for the purposes uh of of this story i want to narrow it really onto the concept of credit so this song is pastiche which is fine because hip-hop often is pastiche by definition right but remember when we talked about Beastie Boys and Biz back on episode 34, we talked about all these ideas of copyright and sampling versus interpolation and these concepts. All this is happening sort of around that same time in the late 80s and early 90s. And a lot of it boils down to taking without asking. Now, the most famous taking without asking piece of this is about that baseline. It is indisputably under pressure by Queen and Bowie. And they didn't credit it when the song came out which led to vanilla ice you've already blown this vanilla ice saying ridiculous things like this in public yes not the same bass line like it
1: goes ding 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 that's the way theirs goes ours goes ding 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 we them oh yeah i remember I remember when they th- so this is how old I am. I remember watching MTV and uh, uh something that is probably a pattern in his life is he's thrown out to the wolves. And it's this big story about how there's no they didn't get permission from Queen and David Bowie right, and right. they they send him out um to not be able to handle it and not handle it in a way that um they they you know
0: needed an attorney and not him and it and it sucked well and, and this isn 't the portion of this that we 're really here to focus on, but basically it gets resolved, and ice backs off of his lunacy later and like he but he kind of recants that statement and representatives for Queen and Bowie threaten a copyright infringement suit uh it gets settled out of court, and ice pays financial recompense so you know this case though actually gets called there's a Rolling Stone writer who calls it a controversy landmark music copyright case because quote it sparked discussion about the punitive actions in plagiarism cases meaning what is the long-term effect of being of something being taken and repurposed in the sense that vanilla ice Paid the price but some argue that it isn't enough to make up for the potential credibility lost by queen <laughs> right so like they're now associated wow. with vanilla ice forever and they had no choice in that because yeah, this song yeah. gets used and then now people hear you know kids from a certain period here under pressure and the first thing they think of is vanilla ice instead of under pressure or whatever or queen so that was a, a rolling stone a writer named jordan Runta, uh who who had written that so that's a great point it it, it is it's really interesting and and i think it sort of becomes something that is referenced back to later right as as more and more of these cases happen over the coming years so that's the obvious part of the song that was taken without permission but there's more in one of them as far as i know didn't have any legal repercussions but it's interesting i never knew this do you know what the chorus of ice ice baby is is modeled after ice Mm. ice baby do you know what that's from
1: it's from something
0: it's the no. signature chant of the National Black Fraternity Alpha Phi Alpha. I guess it's Alpha Phi Alpha. And like so he the way he does it, ice, ice baby is taking from that fraternity chant. And then but it's not a it's not a copyright claim, right? No, I don't think so because I think it's really rhythm rhythm more than anything because right. he's not using the words. But it, but it's still it's still lifted. Right. And then we get to the main attraction that puts all the characters that we've talked about, chocolate, vanilla, <laughs> And the other guy, uh, it, it puts them all in the room. Mario Chocolate says he helped write "Ice Ice Baby" with Vanilla, and actually, like several things on uh, to the extreme. But when the song drops, his name's not in the credits, which means he's not getting paid. It, well, there is some discrepancy. Some, some reports say that his name was in the credits, but he wasn't getting paid. Some say he wasn't in the credits and wasn't getting paid. Either way, he's not getting paid. Which means the guy who holds him as a music publishing client isn't getting paid either. Remember that little detail? Remember yeah. our buddy, Marion? So Mario tells them, Marion Sugar Bear Knight, who if you haven't figured this out yet, people have taken they've shortened that Sugar Bear name, and they just call him Shug. Suge Knight. Hey, Vanilla Ice owes us money. And this is where we get the legend, the rumor, and the innuendo surrounding Vanilla Ice and Suge Knight and the incident that serves as the starting point and beginning of this supervillain persona that gets unleashed on the world of music and hip-hop. If there's a fork in the road where Marion chooses between becoming Sugar Bear and becoming Suge, this is it, yeah. So, do you know this story?
1: Yeah, I, I've I've heard different versions of
0: it. Well, I, there's I several that, different I versions that, to hear,
1: and I thought that I would heard Villa Ice tell different
0: versions of it. it so now I, I don't really know. Yes, it's true. yes, you're pointing out the reason we're talking about it. There are lots of versions of this, and some of them involve the same people telling different versions of it. So, here we go. Yeah, <clears throat> here's how the legend version of the story goes. So, like if if you were just talking to me or Murdoch at a bar and Vanilla, you know, Ice Ice Baby came on and we we're like, man, you know this? Like, this is the way this story would get told. Because this is the way it's just sort of gone yeah. through pop culture. Su- Suge Knight and Joe Pesci and Ray Liotta yeah, all walking in the apartment. pretty much. Right? Pretty much. Suge Knight and two bodyguards arrive at the Palm in West Hollywood. This is in the midst of this time period where Ice Ice Baby is just pummeling the world with its ripped off baseline being burrowed into every brainstem. So, Shug Knight, the two bodyguards, Palm West Hollywood. Ice is having dinner. So, the the way this story is told is that these bodyguards with Shug walk in and push Ice's bodyguards out of the way, and they sit down at the table where he's eating. This is like straight out of Goodfellas, and they stare at him and they just go, "How you doing?" <laughs> and then, like I guess, like this is a thing for a while where they just interrupt Vanilla Ice in the middle of dinner. And then the whole thing culminates. Vanilla Ice is the Bellage Hotel, 15th floor. He hears a knock at his hotel room door. He looks through the peephole, and he's like, Is that? Is that Suge Knight? And wait, is that a member of the Los Angeles Raiders football team? <laughs> so, no Joe Pesci, somebody much more threatening physically. Quick side note here to point out amazing supplemental reading material on the self-mythologizing of the Raiders. There's a essay in Chuck Klosterman's book I wear the black hat which is actually about this whole idea of villainy which touches on a lot of this idea uh, around cultivating villainy but specifically with the Raiders and how they like Got leaned it. into that uh, through uh, and this is a great example of where they leaned into it but and I love that you don't like
1: sports and you know that about the Raiders and you know if you knew a little bit of history about the Raiders they they've moved from market to market they were right. they were in you know Los Angeles the it's one point like kind of the biggest media market in the country didn't have a national football league team. Um, and they were there and then they went back to Oakland and, and so you understand the whole persona and and that whole thing. And then dude, they, they moved to Las Vegas. And so, and, and I, I will tell you like, you know, someone joked to me, they're like, man, you know, the fan base, they just ripped them away because his, his argument was, no one's from Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you end up in Vegas. Yeah, and yeah, I was looking yeah. around. And I was like, yeah, this, you know, this just is like a bunch of like really rich white guys who are all watching the, the Raiders, by the way, who are two and oh, um,
0: unexpectedly.
1: Ooh. Oh, yeah. Okay. So but, he- but back to the L.A. Raider guy and
0: Suge Knight at the door. Back on the 15th floor of the village. Knight forces his way into the room takes ice out on the balcony, pushes him to the edge and makes it very, in some versions of the story say, hold him by his feet. I don't know if that is true and makes it very clear that he would throw him over or drop him unless he signed the publishing rights to ice ice baby over to to Shug The legend goes that ice complies. Shug takes the money and then uses the money. Do you know what he uses the money for in this story? To buy s'mores? No. Well, know. after he buys s'mores, I think he did that with a little bit of the money, but then he's like, I'm going to start a record label called oh, Death, Death Row, Row Records. Yeah. And he suddenly, he, yeah. now we have the basis for this full film franchise about the great villain Shug Knight and those who valiantly fight against him and are slain, or at least wounded in battle, which over the years, depending on who you believe, will be everyone from a parking lot attendant and a competing record label owner to Tupac and Biggie. But... Is this really what happened? That's the question. So in 2001, Xenon Pictures makes this documentary, and you're the documentary king, so maybe you've seen it. It's called Welcome to Death Row. You seen it? I,
1: I'm pretty sure. I mean, it, it's, not my, it's not my big fun spot that I love,
0: but like, I'm pretty sure I've seen it. Yeah. And so it's, it's all about Suge, and it's all about Death Row records. Now, years later, like 2012 or 2013, the producers get a book deal, to publish the interview transcripts from the conversations that they had when they were compiling footage. Wow! So there's this whole excerpt. This is going to be in the show notes about this incident. And it was published in advance of the book coming out. So it's, it's all written in an oral history style. So you can actually read the whole thing down, but I'm going to give you the headlights. Mario Johnson basically says that the only thing true about this story is that they all met in a hotel. He says, when we went to the hotel that day, it was strictly for conversation. Nobody got pushed, nobody argued, no shoving, nothing. When we got there, everything was peaceful. There was an attorney there who showed up and took a statement, and we all got our paperwork together. We didn't even make vanilla ice sign anything in the room. Our our, our attorneys through Sony fought my case. Johnson also says, because you pointed out that there's points where vanilla ice says that the the, i got hung over the balcony sort of story is true and then there's points where later he says no 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 he just threatened to throw me off the balcony and we know that ice is sort of flip-flopped around on these major issues right uh because we heard the whole thing about the queen riff so (laughs) uh, uh mario Johnson says vanilla ice made so much up in his mind he actually started believing it because I was there, no threatening, no nothing. We had normal conversation. He tried to pay Suge for my flight. So, who knows? But there is a quote in this oral history that sticks out to me. At one point, Mario Chackle Johnson also says, Now, it doesn't mean Vanilla Ice didn't get hung over a balcony. But if he did, it's not what made him pay. Which is a really weird Goodfellas thing to say at the end of a interview about yeah. this. So who knows? Clear as mud. But I will say, what is clear is that Ice Ice Baby has made a lot of money over the years, but very little of it goes to Vanilla Ice.
1: Right. He doesn't own the publishing. And so
0: while, as, as I have said a lot, we could cover tons more about both artists. Like Vanilla Ice's fall from grace due mostly to being a culturally appropriating cheese ball. Uh, we can oh, talk and, about and his, his reality TV shows. His suicide attempt by heroin—that's rough, yeah. rough. Yeah. When you're like, you know, the best way to to go, do a bunch of heroin. Nah, I don't think so. Yeah, he was—he was, he had a—he was—he was pretty sad, man. Uh, also, can we talk briefly about his uh, his rap rock period? Do you remember this period in the late '90s? Yeah, uh, I tried not to. Oh, um, I'm gonna make but... you—I'm gonna make you listen to it right now. This is a song called "Scars." <laughs> Our Fred Durst. (laughs) He could have been our Fred Durst. That's all I'm saying. That's 1998. Uh, The album is called Bipolar, and the song is called Scars. So that's right. It's it's Bipolar is the name of that record. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot to cover. Here's one more thing we should talk about. I will make mention of his movie career, but I I don't I don't want to go where you think I want to go. Of course, yes, he made Cool as Ice. And he did. When he was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, it was awesome. He did some really good dancing in that movie, man. Ninja. (laughs) I can't believe I've made it this whole episode not playing ninja rap. You're welcome. Um, God. Also, can can I just say real quickly? I I said we weren't going to talk about Cool as Ice, but I learned some really good stuff about Cool as Ice. So remember when I said that SBK was like, actually had some really smart people? Yeah. So one of these guys. Yeah, SBK Records. It's unclear who. They're like, they saw Boys in the Hood. And they saw what it did for Ice Cube. And they're like, wait, if Ice Cube is going to be in this movie called Boys in the Hood, we should put Ice in a movie. And so the whole reason they created Cool as Ice is because of Boys in the Hood, which is just hilarious to me because the dichotomy of where those two movies end up in history, right? But yeah, Singleton made it. That movie was amazing. The they, second thing. And they, and they remade it. Anyway, the role of Kathy in Cool as Ice was offered to Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> and the reason she didn't take it is that her dad told her no. Oh, my God. Bruce Paltrow forbade her from accepting it because he thought it would hurt her career. I got to say, Bruce, I don't know much about you, but I think you might have been right. Good job. Uh, but, but Okay. Here's where I want to talk about instead, though. If we're just going to talk about Vanilla Ice in a movie, it's much more appropriate, given what we've just talked about, to talk about that time he appeared as himself in an Adam Sandler movie. Have you seen That's My Boy? never seen that movie okay we are we are meant to believe and that's my boy that adam sandler's character used to be friends with vanilla ice but he no longer hangs out with him because he once accidentally hooked up with ice's mom i
1: i I don't know love you know it's so easy to take shots at sandler but like oh he's great he
0: wrote that he's great he's great (laughs) I, I'm, I'm too. I'm too squarely in the age bracket to not think that Adam Sandler is great. I love Adam Sandler. So, so there is there is a scene in this movie where Adam Sandler runs into Vanilla Ice in a lobby, and I can't explain why. And he asks him for money. You think
1: I got that kind of money? Of course you got that kind of money. Royalties from Ice Ice Baby. You must be fucking loaded. Man, the <laughs> Queen took fifty percent. She took the other sixty percent. I
0: fucking owe money when that shit gets played, man. <laughs> he says, Queen took 50%, Shug took the other 60%. I owe money when that song gets played. That's amazing. And it's amazing that he's joking about it in an Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm proud of the guy. Like, it's, it, it's just interesting to know that whether or not this story about the balcony is true at all, this story is incredibly important for the lore and the reputation building for the guy who becomes Suge Knight. Chronologically, this is his first big chess move. This is pre-Death Row Records. This is pre-stealing and breaking up NWA or whatever he did there, right? That's a whole other episode. Quickly after this, all of the NWA EZE e versus Dre stuff starts to happen with Suge in the center. And then he gets thrown into this whole controversy around, you know, there's all these theories about him and Tupac and Biggie. And until now, he's just a dude who got cut from the Rams. That's it. Yeah. yeah. With it with is. a fledgling publishing company, he doesn't even know what he's doing. He basically picks a fight with Vanilla Ice and yeah. be, and really comes out the winner in terms of what happens for his career. Now, his career is, is, is checkered. It, there's... A lot of like if just pull up if you want to get if you want to get a visual for it, pull up the Wikipedia page on Suge Knight and just go to the section that's like controversies or, or legal trouble or whatever. And it's like most of the entry. <laughs> and there's it's like an entry for like it. every year from 1989
1: to now, yeah. And did you? I don't know about you, and so you might could help me with this timeline. So,
0: um, you know, to the extreme is uh, what year is that? To the Extreme comes out in... I think once it gets repackaged, it's 90. Let me double 90, check. 90? 91? Okay, yeah. And so, I don't know when
1: I heard the story about Suge and the Balcony. But, man, it certainly wasn't any time around when I was listening to To the Extreme. Like, it was way later. So, it was this... It It felt like this crazy story. Like that had just kind of been secret. Like, I I don't know. I mean, I might've heard it. Well,
0: almost a decade later. Yeah. And who starts, who starts that story? Is it Suge Knight's camp that starts that story? Is it, is vanilla ice drop it in an interview and then it gets kind of hustled up because it becomes this thing that we're talking like, what else would we be? I mean, actually there are a lot of things we could be talking about in terms of vanilla ice, but you know, for the, this is a good example of we're having a whole conversation about vanilla ice on a podcast in 2021. Right. And it's because of this legend and lore around whether or not he got hung over a balcony and threatened with his life for his publishing rights. I mean, it's, but, it's unbelievable. But he, he, he doesn't
1: have the publishing rights. So an event occurred yeah. that happened, and he gave up his publishing rights. Listen, to- man.
0: Queen gets 50%. Should gets 60 <laughs> He loses money every time that song plays.
1: <laughs> Rob Van Winkle, that's a great way of explaining it with your abstract math. Uh,
0: wow. If you want to get involved in this show, if you have anything to say about Vanilla Ice or Suge Knight or any of the other topics we've covered in our almost 60 episodes, man, Whoo done a lot of work uh wow. you can email us at we are the at gmail.com you can check out the show at we are you can find us on facebook just look up we are the story guys and uh wow what what should we keep doing until next time mark Just keep having a roni you keep telling stories <laughs> I get, now i gotta play that song out don't no, no, i do i have to play that song out
1: No, it'll ruin the mood for all of us. Keep telling stories, everybody.
0: Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.